Open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah. And so what I'd like to do this time is read the whole first chapter, okay? And then we'll, we'll touch on chapter 2 just a little bit at the end. We're not going to have much time for that. But I want to read the first chapter and give you a good setting for the book, okay? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on aboard to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? And he said, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Father, we thank you for uh, this account. God, this, this real story of a real guy who, who was disobedient, who didn't have your heart, and ended up in the belly of a whale. Father, I pray that you would teach us about your grace today. Teach us about your incredible mercy. God, teach us how to have a heart like you have for even our enemies. Father, I pray that, God, you would keep us from being disobedient, keep us from being prideful. God, keep us in awe of you, trusting you, yielding ourselves to you. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to do a great work. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We trust in Jesus today. Amen. First thing we need to establish here today is that Jonah is a real historical figure. I want to take you to 2 Kings for just a moment. You don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen. But 2 Kings chapter 14 and in verse 25, verse 25 of 2 Kings 14, it says, He restored, this is just a historical account in 2 Kings, He restored the board of Israel as far as Labohamath, talking about the King Jeroboam, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which He spoke by His servant Jonah, 
the son of Amity, the prophet who is from Gath-Haver. Now, the only reason I read that for you is I want you to see that, that, that Jonah's not a parable. Jonah's not some made-up story, uh, some fairy tale that, to teach us about uh, truths in the Bible. Jonah is about a real guy who, who had a ministry, and, and we read about it in Second Kings, who lived during the reign of Jeroboam, who was a prophet, who was a preacher, who was a guy who, who called people to repentance. Jer- Jonah is a real guy, a real historic figure, who, who really disobeyed God and who really was swallowed by a giant fish or a whale, okay? Now, you might say to yourself, okay, pastor, come on, man, we live in in 2010. How how could a guy be swallowed by a whale and live for three days and be okay and come out of that? I mean, how how can that happen? Well, in in answer to that, a lot of people have searched history to try to to find some evidence that that could really happen. And and actually, there have been people, uh, a guy named James... uh, Bartley, I think is his name. You can Google it. Uh, just Google uh, uh, swallowed by a whale or something like that. That's what I did. And it comes up. I'd heard of this story before. I think his name was James Bartley. He's a guy that was on a whaling ship. Okay. And he's, uh, he's in a long boat and they just harpooned this, this, big, this big whale. And uh, the whale dives, which they do that when, when they're harpooned and they're, they're injured. He dives, goes about 800 foot down. They were letting out line on the boat. And, uh, and he's out in one of the little boats that, that runs up beside the, the whale. And they let about 800 foot of line. And then the line goes slack, which means the whale is surfacing. And so they're all watching for where's, where's he going to surface. Well, he comes up underneath the longboat, okay? He comes up with a vengeance. And he, he breaks, just busts apart this little, this little paddle boat that these guys are in. And uh, all the men go into the sea. And this guy named Jace Bartley gets swallowed by a, I think it was a sperm whale is what it was. He gets swallowed by a whale. Well, the whale is harpooned, so he, he dies. They've got him, okay? Uh, so he dies. He comes to the surface. The ship comes up, and they start, they start skinning the whale. They start doing the processing, and they get down to the stomach of the whale, and uh, they, something's moving in there. <laughs> and so they cut open the stomach, and there's James, okay? He's inside the whale. Fifteen hours, he lives, okay? He was blind for the rest of his life, and they, they said his skin was bleached, uh, kind of a, a weird color just because of the, the stomach acid, and uh, he actually didn't recover for quite a while, but he did recover lived about another 15 years. And so there's an example of someone who was swallowed by a whale. But you know, that's silly for us to look for an example like that in order to prove that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. You know why? Because God did a miracle, okay? And we don't need any evidence. By nature, a miracle is something you can't explain, is it not? I mean, when God moves, he does so in ways that that, that are beyond our understanding. There is no need for us to go back and look through physician's logs and try to find somebody who was dead for four days and was raised from the dead in order to say, okay, I think Jesus could have raised Lazarus. No, Lazarus was really dead for four days. His body was was decaying in a tomb. Jesus walks up and says, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out. He's alive. It's a miracle of God, a move of the Spirit of God. There is no need for us to try to find some kind of natural phenomenon to say, well, here's why the Red Sea would part at a certain time and a certain... No. You know why the Red Sea parted? Because God split it. You know why Jesus was able to feed 5,000 people with, with a little boy's lunch? Because he is God. And when God moves... Nature does not apply, okay? God, God defines, he, he, he transcends the, the laws of nature, and that's exactly what God does here in this book of Jonah. God does a miracle, okay? So this is the, the story of Jonah. Now, who was Jonah? Again, he was a real historical figure, but he was a preacher of God's word, okay? What did Jonah do for a living? He spoke truth, okay? He, he was a God-appointed preacher in Israel. He spoke truth. He called people to repent. He called people to turn to God's mercy. He was a prophet, and as long as he was a prophet, prophet to Israel, okay? As long as he was preaching to Israel, as long as he was calling his own family and his own town and his own people and people that were like him and people that he liked, as long as he was calling them to repentance, 
Everything was good, okay? It was all, it was all good. He, he was happy doing what God had called him to do. But then one day, and here's where Jonah starts, God calls him to go and to preach and to give the truth of God to Nineveh. Now here's where things get ugly, okay? Because Nineveh, Nineveh is not an Israelite city. Nineveh is a pagan city, okay? It's a part of the Assyrian Empire. And Nineveh was known for its wickedness and its cruelty. Assyria at this time in, in, in Israel's history is kind of the big kid on the block. And they, they, are taking, they are taking ground, all right? Their military is conquering other nations. And they're expanding their empire. And, and when they do so, they do so with horrendous cruelty, okay? It was a, it was a trademark of the Ninevites. In fact, there, there's an entire book of the Old Testament. It's called Nahum. It's, it's a couple books past Jonah. It's one of those little minor prophets again. But the entire book of Nahum is about God's judgment coming to the, to the people of Nineveh to the city of Nineveh. That's how, that's how wicked the city was. In Nahum chapter 3, let me read you one verse. Verse 1, it says, Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. I mean, that, that's how the Bible describes these people, the Ninevites. And so God tells Jonah to go and to preach to Geneva, Nineveh, to go and confront their sin, to go tell them of God's judgment. That would be equivalent, just get this in your mind, that's equivalent to God calling a Jewish young man to go preach in Germany during World War II, okay? That's equivalent to God calling an African-American young man to go to Mississippi and to find the Ku Klux Klan and, and to share God's word with them, okay? That's equivalent to, to in our generation, someone uh, who, who, whose family was killed in the World Trade Center, God calling them to go to, to, go to Pakistan or to go to, to Iraq and to find the, the Al-Qaeda Al -Qaeda pockets and, and to share God's truth with them. Do you, do you see how hard that might be? Okay, that's what God calls Jonah to do. Now you might think, well, Jonah's scared, he's intimidated. No, not really. He, here's why Jonah doesn't want to go. I'm going to give away next week's sermon. We're going to, we're going to jump into chapter 3 and 4 here for just a second. But chapter 4, verse 2, let me, let me tell you why the Bible, the Bible is very clear about why Jonah does not want to go. In verse 2 it says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, here's why I didn't want to go. I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Why didn't Jonah want to go? Jonah wouldn't want to go because he knows God's character. Jonah knows that God is a God of mercy. He knows that God is a God of grace. He knows that God is the kind of God when, when people, no matter what they've done, no matter how wicked they've been, no matter how evil they are, when they turn and repent and give their lives to God, when, when they put their faith in our context, in Jesus Christ, that God is a God who will forgive. God is a God who will wipe away sins. God is a God who will pour out this incredible mercy and grace and riches upon the most undeserving people. Jonah knows that's the kind of God is. And Jonah does not want Nineveh to have any of that. We are a people that like God's grace. Would you agree with that? We're people that like God's grace. I am. Now, maybe some of you, you're, you're just here and you're seeking and you're, you're not quite sure about all this. And maybe you're, you're, uh, you're still in the process of learning about God's grace. But I can speak for a lot of people in this room and for myself, certainly, that we're people that like God's grace. We're people that love that God is a God who forgives sins. God is a God who, who pours out his mercy upon us. God is a God who, even though I've done some really foolish things, and even though I've dishonored the Lord in some pretty serious ways, God didn't write me off. God didn't discard me. God didn't say, you know what, I'm going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you what you want. 
And I'm going I'm to give you my judgment. God is a God who is merciful with me and merciful with many of you and gracious. And God is a God who has given us his riches. God is a God who, who has poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. We've looked the last two weeks in Ephesians about all that God has done for a believer. That's the kind of God that he is. He's a God who accepts us even though we've blown it so many times. We love that about God. We love his grace. You know what? I not only love grace from God, man, I love grace from other people. I love it when my wife, as a born-again believer who has put her faith in Christ and received the grace of God, I love when, when God's grace flows into her and out to me, you know? I love it when I blow it with my wife and she gives me grace. That is a great thing. Now, I'm not going to test that too much, but I love that. I love that, that she's gracious with me, that she's merciful with me. I love that my kids are kids of grace, that even when dad blows it or even when dad, dad isn't, doesn't hold up as he ought to or say what he ought to, I mean, I love it that, that, that they're people of grace. I love it that you as a church family have been so gracious to me, you know, that even, even in my blunders and even my failures and even, even when I'm not where I need to be and when I need to be, you're so gracious. I love I love receiving grace from other people. I love when people don't magnify my faults, but, but, they, but, they, but they minimize them and they, 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 they magnify the, the good things that I do. Man, I love receiving grace, not only from God, but also from other people. But you know what's true about all of us, probably, if we'll be honest? We're a little bit like Jonah in that we don't always like grace for other people. You see, we like it for us. I want it from God. I mean, I want it from you guys. But here's what's true. We don't always like to give it to other people. We don't always want grace for the person that's hurt us or the person that hurt our family. We don't always want grace for, for the enemy. We don't always want grace for the person we're in conflict with. We don't always want grace for the people group, maybe, that we don't think are like us or that we don't understand. Folks, sometimes we don't want grace, but instead, you know what we want? The truth is, sometimes we want justice. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me encourage you here for just a moment. You know what? If, if you have a, a cry in your heart for justice, let me tell you, God is just as well, okay? See, not only is God infinitely gracious, but God is also infinitely just as well. As I watched the news this last week and I saw that, that story of that, um, that girl who died on the, on the trails, and I think it was somewhere in California, and, and they caught this guy. He's a sexual predator. He's, he's already been in jail once, and, they, and he's gotten out, and now he's, he's killed this, this young, young lady. Man, there's something in me that just cries out for justice, you know? I mean, not, not in a wicked way, I don't think, not in an evil way, but, but just in, in a, there, there's something in us to say, you know what, that, that girl's life was valuable, and it was precious, and, and the right thing is for justice to be done. And it's the right thing for everyone. It's the right thing for that guy. I believe him. There's something in our, in our, in our hearts that cry out for justice. But, but let me tell you, God is a God of justice. God is a God of mercy. But God is also a God of justice. How do, how do I know that? Hell. Okay? I, I believe what the Bible says about hell. I believe that, that God's wrath will indeed be poured out upon those who do not put their faith in Jesus Christ, upon those who disobey and refuse Christ's forgiveness. I believe there's a place the Bible literally describes as hell where God's justice will be served for all eternity. Those who, who, who persist in rejecting Jesus Christ, those who persist in saying, I don't want your salvation, I'm good enough on my own, the Bible says they'll spend an eternity in hell. Folks, you know what the Bible says? We, we can believe probably unless there's 
or something we don't know that Hitler is there, that Saddam Hussein is there, that Judas is there, and Herod is there, and Jezebel is there, and the rich man of Luke 16 is there, and just simply people who have no interest in God. Maybe they lived a good life, but they didn't trust God, and they didn't put their faith in God, they didn't love the things of God. Folks, the Bible says there will be justice for them in a place called hell. But you know what? God's justice is not just about hell, but it's also about the cross. You see, how is there justice in my life? Because I've been disobedient and I've sinned. Well, there's justice in my life because Jesus Christ, the infinitely glorious Son of God, died a torturous death, staked to a wooden beam to pay the price for my freedom. That's justice. You see, if you owe a $10,000 fine and the police are coming to get you and you can't pay it and somebody else comes and writes a $10,000 check in your behalf and pays your fine, you know what? Justice is done, isn't it? It's justice, okay? How, how did it happen? It didn't happen through you. It happened through somebody else brought justice in your life. And Jesus Christ has brought justice to us through the cross, through bearing our sins. So friends, God is a God of justice and God is a God of mercy. Those two things exist in, in, in the stream of, uh, of, of God's workings and dealings with mankind. I was talking to John the other day, John Elam, and he talked about, I like what he said, he said, It's like two parallel lines, and they would never meet God's justice and God's mercy, but they meet in the cross, in the cross of Jesus Christ. Those two meet where God's mercy and God's justice are magnified. So, all that we desire is in God, both justice and mercy. God is perfectly just, and he's perfectly merciful and gracious. But here's the thing, and here's Jonah's problem, okay? Jonah's problem, and maybe many of ours as well, He didn't trust God to disperse his own grace, God's own grace, and God's own justice as God saw fit. See, that's our struggle sometimes, isn't it? We know that God is a God who's infinitely merciful, and he's a God who's infinitely just. But sometimes we just aren't quite sure that he's doling those out appropriately, right? Sometimes we're like, God, I I want you to have mercy for this guy. No, not him. Yes, mercy, mercy, no, you know, justice, mercy, mercy, you know. We'd like to be the one that does that, wouldn't we? We'd like to be the one that, that, that says who gets grace and who gets mercy and whose sins are forgiven because in a lot of our hearts, let's just be honest, we're like Jonah. We think we know. We think we know who, do, who, who should get it. You know, I almost said who deserves it. But then we got to come back because what's our theology? We all deserve it. So I don't want to say that. I, I don't want to say that everybody who deserves God's wrath ought to get it because we're all done for then, okay? But, but we ought, sometimes we think we ought to pick. We ought, we ought to pick who gets justice and who gets mercy. And, and Jonah struggled with that. And not only did he struggle with that, but let me tell you what he struggled big time with. He struggled with being a part of God's mercy. You see, he, he knows, look, if God's going to be merciful to the Ninevites, it's going to happen. And man, he, he, he sees that coming when God tells him to go preach to him, but he doesn't want to be a part of it. He does not want to be a part of God's mercy coming to these people that he doesn't like, that, 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 that are enemies of the nation of Israel. And so God's mission for him is rejected. And so what does Jonah do? Jonah, Jonah, here's the call of God. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach to them. I want you to extend my mercy and extend my grace to Nineveh. And Jonah goes the other way. God calls him to go 500 miles northeast. Jonah gets on a boat for 2,500 miles to the west. We do that sometimes, don't we? We see that sometimes. Man, I see that. My two-year-old is already, she can be Jonah, Okay. I'll say, I'll say, all right, guys, it's time to clean up the living room. Man, boo, there she goes. I mean, just out. You know, I mean, she's two years old. She already knows that. And I'm like, where are you going? Hey, Haven, where are you going? She's, uh, she's always got something. You're going to pop tart. Or I'm going to, you know, I mean, you know, but she's doing what Jonah did. It's like, I don't want to do what he just told me to do, so I'm getting out of here, okay? I'm fleeing. 
And, and folks, here's the thing. Sins of omission are just as bad as sins of commission. They're both bad, okay? Sometimes we, we commit a sin, a sin of commission. In other words, we slander, or we're angry, or we're unforgiving, or we, we do something that God told us not to do. And that's a sin of commission. But you know what? Another type of sin is a sin of omission, where God tells us to do something, and we go, and sometimes we feel better about those, don't we? Because we're like, well, I didn't do anything. Yeah, that's the point. You didn't do anything. God told you to do this, and you didn't do anything. You, you, you did not respond. You did not obey. You did not get a part of the mission and the plan of God. You, you ignored your brother, okay? Maybe you didn't do anything to harm him, but by ignoring him, you didn't love him. You, you, you sinned against him by, by not doing what God told you to do. So what's Jonah do? Jonah hops a boat in completely the opposite direction. Now, now, specifically, why do you do that? Look, look at verse 3. This is, this is cool. Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went on board to go with him to Tarshish. Get the last phrase there. You see it? Away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord. Now, theologically, that's bankrupt, isn't it? You going to get away from God? Can you go somewhere and hide? You know, where are you going to go? Can, you know, you, you got somewhere that God's not, you know, where, where is that? Texas? Is that where you're going to go? You know, some people think that. He's there, okay? Where are you going to go? This is what the, the psalmist says, Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea. That's what Jonah's trying to do. Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. We're going to go away from God. You can't go anywhere. But you know what? Mankind's been doing this since the Garden of Eden. What, what Adam and Eve do when they sinned? What they do? They, they tried to hide from God, didn't they? Jonah did the same thing. I'm just going to get, I'm, I'm going away. He wants me to do this. I'm getting far away from him. You know what I've found, friends? When people live in disobedience to God, when there's something in your life you know is not right, you know what you do many times? We try to get away from the presence of the Lord, don't we? How do we do that? Do we hop a boat to Spain? Most of us don't. But you know what we do sometimes? We stay away from our Bible. We stay away from church. We stay away from our small group. You ever had that feeling? You know, you just, I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm going to get away. I don't, I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to think about God. I don't, I don't want people talking to me about God. Because I know this is not right in my life. Now, some people don't. All, the people that don't do that almost scare me more. <laughs> you know, the people that are like, I'm living in disobedience, and I'm going right to church. You know, lay, lay it on me. I don't care. You know, that, that worries me almost as much, you know, or more than the other. But, but I think more frequently, when people know they're in disobedience to God, often they try to do that. They try to stay away from the presence of the Lord. Well, obviously that's impossible. Um, not going to work. Didn't work for Jonah. It's not going to work for us. So what's hap what happens to Jonah? He hops a boat, heads to, heads to Tarshish. He's on the sea. Uh, he's going west. He's supposed to be going east. And God brings his discipline upon Jonah. Isn't that what happens with us? Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that God disciplines those whom he loves and he chastens those whom are his. Okay? So if you're here, his today. Let me tell you, you can't live. We, we talked about this last week. We looked at it in 1 John on, on the Sermon on the Holy Spirit. You can't live in perpetual disobedience to God. You can't live in habitual disobedience. If you're his, he's not going to let you do that. 
He's not going to let you do that. And in the same way, God's not going to let Jonah go. And so what happens? Well, verse 4. So the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there's a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. God sends consequences for Jonah's sin. Now notice, think about this. Not only consequences for Jonah, but consequences for those around him. Okay, There's a group of sailors that are in the fight of their life because a prophet won't do what he's supposed to do. Did you know, my friends, that it's not just you that suffers when you sin, but everybody around you? You believe that? You know, whenever, whenever you sin against God, whenever you live in disobedience, whenever you reject God's call in your life, that doesn't just affect you, that affects other people as well. Man, I know as a dad, if I'm not where I need to be with the Lord, I sh- I'm a fool to think I'm, I'm the only one who's suffering for that. My family's going to suffer for that. Other people around me, my church is going to suffer for that. And in the same way, here's a group of sailors that are in this thing with Jonah, and they're fighting for their lives, okay? This this storm is like nothing they've seen. They think they're going to perish. And and notice this. Notice this picture. Where is Jonah, okay? Here here these guys are fighting to keep this this, this boat upright, to keep themselves from from being, being cast into the sea, and they're doing everything they can do to try to keep alive. Where's Jonah? Is he helping? Is he praying? Is he encouraging? Is he doing the one thing that would Stop the storm, repenting. He's not doing any of that. What's he doing? Sleeping. Jonah's sleeping. Man, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strong picture here of a guy who, who has no grace or mercy for anybody right now in his life, does he? Is he concerned about these sailors? Is he concerned about these men and their families and them dying because of his sin? He's taking a nap. It's a great contrast between the Apostle Paul, another great guy in, in the Bible who's in a shipwreck. Remember that? They're in a storm, fight of their life. And, and you remember what Paul is doing? Paul is preaching. Paul is, is praying. Paul is, is encouraging. Paul is telling them, hey, you know what? We're all going to survive and it's going to be okay. And, and he's telling them to eat. But Jonah's doing none of that. Jonah is sleeping. So what do they do? Well, The sailors are like, look, this is somebody's fault. We know that God is angry with somebody. And so they cast lots. Now, what is casting lots? I always kind of think of a little Farkle game or something. You know, where you got the dice and the, and that was the dice and the cut. Or is that Yahtzee? Maybe that's Yahtzee. Is that Yahtzee? I don't don't know. Farkle? Okay, both. All right, both. All right. Anyway, that's what I always think of, you know, a little. But it's not really dice. They're kind of these, these stones that have markings and colors that basically identify a yes or a no, okay? So they go around, they cast lots. Who, who's, whose deal is this, okay? Who, who's, whose fault is this? And, of course, the lot falls on Jonah. You know what? You can't get away from the providence of God, can you? Not, not in the book of Jonah, especially. I mean, Jonah tries to run. God sends a storm, you know? Jonah tries to sleep. God sends the, the lot on him. You know, this is you. It's your fault. You know, they, they Jonah tries to, to, to die. God sends a whale. You know what I mean? He, God won't let him go. Okay? The providence of God has this guy. And so the lot identifies it's Jonah. It's Jonah's fault. Jonah, Jonah tells them, this is who I am. This is what I've done. I've disobeyed God. They say, well, what do we need to do? He's like, throw me overboard. That's the only answer. Throw me into the sea. You know, and then it'll stop. Man, notice this picture. Okay, get this. This is powerful to me. Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Here's what I want you to see. These pagan sailors, these immoral, godless, probably Phoenicians is probably who they were, worshipers of idols, they show more grace to Jonah, the prophet of God, than he's willing to show to an entire city of Ninevites. 
He tells them, this is my fault. I've been disobedient. I've sinned against God. You just throw me overboard. And they're like, no, we don't want to throw you overboard. Keep rowing, guys. Come on, let's, let's try another answer because we got to save this guy. You see the grace they're giving Jonah? Does he give that to the Ninevites? No. He's like, they, they need to die. They need to be punished. They need God's wrath on them. What an embarrassing thing, friends. What an embarrassing thing when we see more grace in people of the world than we see in the people of God. Wow. Don't, let's not ever let that happen at Lincoln, okay? Can, can we just make a commitment today? We don't, want, we don't want that ever to happen at Lincoln Avenue. We don't, ever, we don't ever want there to be more grace out in the world than there is in the church, okay? Now, I'm not talking about excusing sin. You guys know that. I'm not talking about we, we tolerate unrighteousness. No, no, but, but grace toward people, mercy toward people. Jonah doesn't have any. So finally, they can't get him to shore. They can't get the boat to shore. So they say, okay, we're going to do this guy says. And so, so they throw him overboard. Now here, here's where it gets real interesting, I think, in Jonah's life, okay? Jonah's disobedient to God. And what's the source of his disobedience? He, he knows that Nineveh is disobedient. They're sinners. And he doesn't want God's grace for them, okay? So Nineveh is a sinner. They're sinners. They're, they're wicked. They're disobedient. Jonah doesn't want any grace coming to them. What's Jonah done? He's a sinner. <laughs> He's being disobedient. And you know what? When he gets to the bottom of the ocean, he decides, decides that maybe, maybe, maybe he does want God's grace. Maybe the disobedient should have God's grace. Jonah prays, okay? Now, where do we see that? Well, look in chapter 2. I know we didn't read chapter 2, but it talks about in chapter 2 that, that Jonah prays to the Lord from the belly of the fish, okay? So you have his whole prayer there. But I want to show you that what I think happened before that was that Jonah cried out to God before the fish, okay? Let me show you why. Verse 5 of chapter 2. It says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. and the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land, whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my, up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, here it is, verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Okay? So what, what's he talking about there? Well, in verse 5, he talks about sinking to the bottom, seaweed wrapping around his head. He's going down to the, to, to, to the depths. Okay? And he says, when, when my life was fainting away, as he's about to go unconscious, what's he do? He cries out to the Lord for what? For God's grace. The disobedient prophet cries out for God's grace. What timing, huh? You know, you ever ask questions like this? You ever look at a story like this and say, you know, Jonah, wouldn't it have been better to cry out for God's grace like 10 minutes earlier, you know, while you're on the boat? You know anybody that they're not going to cry out until they're at rock bottom? You know anybody like that? You know any Jonas? Are you a Jonah? You like that? That, you know what? You don't take the easy route. You wait until, why do we do that? I don't, please don't do that. Don't do that. Don't wait until, until there's, there's almost absolutely no hope before you cry out to God. Fortunate for Jonah and probably for some of us as well, nothing is impossible for God. And as Jonah cries out to God, God sends salvation. Now, now listen, salvation and rescue and grace don't always come in ways that we want or expect, okay? Just think about this. If you're 50 feet under the ocean, sinking to the bottom, 
with seaweed wrapped around your head and you pray out to God for grace, what exactly are you praying for? I don't, if, if you're like me, you're praying for a life preserver, right? Or you're praying for about you know, a two more minutes of air so you can swim to the top. You're praying for, here's what I'd be praying for. Jonah probably didn't pray for this, but I'd be praying for a diver with a tank, okay? That, that's what I'd be praying for. Or, you know, maybe Jonah's thinking, you know, God, you split the Red Sea. Hey, you can do it again, you know? I mean, I mean just he's praying for some kind of miracle, but I bet what he probably wasn't praying for was to be swallowed by a whale, okay? I don't know about you, but, you know, I've been in the ocean many times, and when I think about being swallowed by an orca or a humpback whale or a giant grouper or a great white, all of those things I would normally consider to be not a good thing, okay? But sometimes, sometimes God rescues us in painful ways. And that was the case for Jonah. You think God ever does that today? You think God ever, as we cry out to him in the midst of our despair, sometimes he rescues us, but he does so in in ways that, that teach us a lesson, right? I think sometimes God rescues people from materialism through financial difficulty. I think sometimes God rescues people from bitterness through a tragedy. I don't know how many funerals I've been to where I've seen these two people that were at odds with one another forever and wouldn't reconcile, and they both claim to be believers, and God says that can't happen, and that it took someone dying for them to get right with the Lord and with each other. Sometimes God rescues us in painful ways, and that was the case for Jonah. Friends, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to leave a lot for next week, but, but think about this. God's mission, God's mission is to extend his grace and mercy through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to every tribe, tongue, and nation, to the people all across the world. Israel had that commission, okay? And you know what? For the most part, they kind of blew it. They weren't a light to the nations. That, that's what Jonah is all about. Jonah is all about this picture of, of Israel not being a light to their neighbors, not extending God's grace. It's a picture of Israel saying, God, we want your grace, and we want your mercy, and we want your riches. God, we don't want anybody else to have it. We don't want, we don't want our neighbor to have it. We don't, we don't want that person over there to have it. We, we, we're going to pick, God, who we think ought to have it. Folks, that's not being obedient to the mission of God. You know, for some of you today... For some of you today, you may need God's grace. That's where you need to start. For some of you today, you're, you're kind of where Jonah is, except you've just always been disobedient. And you say, well, Pastor, I've, I've not always been disobedient. I've done good things. I agree with you. I, I probably did too. I, I did some good things in my life. But here's the truth about all of us. The Bible says that we're sinners. We're separated from a holy God. The Bible says that we've not sought God. We've not loved God. We've not cherished God as the Bible commands us to do. And that puts us at odds with God. It puts us separated from God. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And the Bible says, as we read in the book of Jonah, God is a God of grace. God is a God of steadfast love. God is a God of mercy. And the good news of the gospel today is no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no, no matter how far you are from God, you could be like a Ninevite. And God says, I, I want you to experience my grace. And God could give you that today if you'll turn to him in Jesus Christ. But I think where many of us are today is we are people that have received God's grace. We're people who stand in it right now. We're people who, who I can say, I can say to you today, I'm right with God and I'm going to heaven someday. Not because of one thing that I have done, but because God has been gracious to me. But here's the question. What does that mean for me? As I live out the rest of my life, what does that mean? One thing it means is that I'm on mission with God. What is God's mission? God's mission is that his grace and his mercy would be displayed to the world. Where does that start? 
It starts with my family. If I stand in God's grace, my family ought to reap some of that, shouldn't they? Shouldn't my kids experience God's grace through me? Shouldn't they experience God's mercy through me? My wife, shouldn't, shouldn't she experience God's grace and God's forgiveness? Shouldn't I treat them like God's treated me? That should extend to my community, shouldn't it? My friends, to my church. We should be gracious to each other. But folks, you know what? It ought to go all the way to the ends of the world. It ought to go to the Muslim. It ought to go to the liberal. It ought to go to the to people of a different nationality, a different race, a different culture, a different dress. We ought to be people that say, you know what? God's grace, God's grace is extended to the world. And I'm not only going to believe that, but I'm going to live that. Let me ask you today, who, who needs God's grace from you today? Who needs that? Is it somebody in your family? That, that for a long time you've said, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiving me for my sin. Thank you for, for, for giving me mercy. But God, I'm not giving that guy none. Somebody you work with? Is it a certain group of people maybe that you just, you just don't connect with? Who is it that God wants you to send God's grace to? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for being so good to us. Lord, we've all been Jonah at one point in our life. God, we've all been disobedient. We've all turned away from you. And God, I just thank you that, that you're a God who didn't write us off, but that you came after us and that you showered your mercy and grace upon us. And God, I pray that as we have received that, I pray, God, that we might live that out and we might display that to the world. Father, I pray that that you would just put your finger in our hearts upon those people or that person or that group of people or that, that language, that nationality, whatever it is, Lord, that we, that we struggle to be gracious toward. And Father, help us to, to be willing to carry the gospel, to carry the good news to them. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.